Jeremiah, a very familiar passage of Scripture. By the way, Jeremiah is not a bullfrog, and he doesn't have any wine. Jeremiah was a prophet that very little of what he had to say came to pass in his generation, although it did come to pass. Look at somebody and say, it did come to pass. He spoke some things concerning this generation. He spoke some things concerning the previous generation. He spoke things concerning your future generation. And we thank God for men and women that will speak what God has to say, whether it's popular or not. I believe, and Pastor Ronnie can help me, I believe that Jeremiah was sawn in two. He was sawn in two for the gospel. He, he was murdered. He was assassinated by those that hated to hear what he had to say. Most times when people hate to hear what you have to say, it's because they are so busy doing their own thing, thang, like that. that I've learned that 23 years in Tennessee. I'm a Southern California surfer dude, and everything to me is dude or far out or funky. But every once in a while, we get the thang going on every once in a while. But it, it is, uh, I just want to get right into the word this morning. And my thought or theme, if you were here last week, I I focused on the, on the thought or the idea of when God doesn't come through, when God doesn't come through. And I share with you, shared with you some things that you needed to do. You need to have a person in your life that's an encourager, that will bless you, that will be there for you. I like people in my life that have no hidden agenda when they speak over me. I remember I was on a deer hunting safari in the desert of Texas, and I met a multimillionaire who had absolutely nothing to gain by introducing me to Juice Plus. Juice Plus is an incredible, phenomenal product. I take it every single day. I've been taking, I guess, for two or three years. And Pastor Ron will tell you, I never have a cold. I never have a cold. I never have the snipples. I never, none of that stuff. When I do stuff, I flip a four-wheel or fall out of a tree or wreck a car. I mean, it's, it's nothing minor with me. It's always serious. But because this millionaire told me about this product, that he had nothing to gain by telling me I tried the product. Pastor Ron and I are both on the product. I think even Christine once in a while and Courtney even once in a while takes the product. So I like people that when they speak into your life, they have no hidden agenda. They're hearing what God has to say to us. Don't you love that? This morning, I would like, and also I talked about Mark the Johns in your life. Pastor Jeff is the John in my life. who has been there through thick and thin. We've been together 23 years. And what was so ironic when Pastor Jeff came 23 years ago, incredible musician, a great man of God, he and I both had hair the same length, and it touched our shoulders. And the church that Pastor Jeff was a part of, and I'd preached revival there, really didn't allow leaders to have long hair, even though Jesus had long hair. But anyway, it is what it is, and God connected us at the hip. And, and Pastor Jeff is a John, regardless of the storm, the circumstance, he's been there encouraging not just praying for me, speaking over me, financially blessing me. Thank God for the Johns in our life that are there that will see us all the way through the end of the matter. Look at somebody and say, the Akari, the end of the matter. There is, a end, there is an end of the matter. A very familiar passage of Scripture, and this morning for just a few minutes, if I may, my title or my thought is, are you ready? Wait for it. When God turns up, missing. When God turns up missing. Can anybody relate? 
You ever been to a place where you did all the lists? You did all the confessions? You had the right bumper stickers on your car? You were playing the right praise and worship tapes? You were going to the right Bible studies? On Tuesday night, you went to the Omega. On Wednesday night, you went to Harvest. On Thursday night, you went to see what Judy and Jamie was doing. On Saturday night, you, you went to some place. There was revival. There was a church service going on. You had to be there. You went to every single service. You got there early. You left late. You sit on the front row with that look on your face that says, I need to be prophesied over. Come on. Most people didn't follow up on the last prophetic word they got. Hello. And now they're waiting for another prophetic word, and they don't even care if it's a bad prophetic word. They just want a word. I need a word from the Lord. And so there, there are seasons in your life, and, and you'll find in the Word of God that God will speak to a guy by the name of Abram and not say anything else for 20 years. For 20 years, God spoke to Abram, leave your land, leave your family, leave, your, leave everything, and go to a land that I will show you. Abraham did it, and you know the story, went through all the stuff that Abraham went through. And then 20 years later, God spoke and said, I'm going to honor the promise I made to you 20 years ago. Joseph spent 13 years in prison wanting to hear the word of the Lord, wanting to know where the God was present. As you look through the word of God, there are those that felt like that maybe God had abandoned them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, maybe, look at some and say, maybe you will, maybe you won't. The threats the enemy has against you, maybe he will complete them, maybe he won't. But if he does, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Paul was at a place in his life where his words, not mine, all hope that we would be saved was lost, all hope. But there stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, whose I am, whose I serve, and who I believe. So there will be seasons in your life when you feel like, you're doing the prayer journal. You're doing the 40 days of the purpose-driven life. You're writing, you're texting scriptures. You're receiving scriptures. You're Twittering. You're Instagramming. You're Facebooking. You're just looking for any kind of, like the woman that one of the crumbs that fell from the, from the, from the, the, the table. You're, you're like that. I'll just take any crumb. I'll just take anything. But it seems like the more you knock, the less he listens. The more you call, the, the further he seems to be. And it feels like God is 100 million miles away. Good news, Jeremiah 29 and 11. Reading from the only version that I read from is the King James Version. Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an ochre. Then... You shall call unto me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Look at somebody and say, all of your heart. Jeremiah 33 and 3, God said, call unto me, and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of them all. And we have those promises, but it seems like from time to time, we're going through a time to pine, you like that time to pine? We're going through, a, I had six cups of coffee this morning, so that's why I'm talking fast. I got a lot to say, and I really want to get to the, the awkwardy of this message today. Um, just to, just to, if, if I could have a little fun today and just share um, 
This is taken from God at War by Kyle Adelman. He wrote the book, Not a Fan, incredible writer. This generation, of my daughter's generation, a little younger writer, but excellent writing. But uh, let me share just a, a page of this book with you, if I may. And we're talking about seeking the Lord with all of our heart, right? Getting our priors or finding God. And uh, by the way, God's not lost. Some people say, well, I found God when I was 12. No, God found you. You weren't lost. God, God wasn't lost. God knew exactly where you were, and God sent the Spirit to draw you. See if you can imagine this one. People arrive hours early for church. On Sunday mornings, they don't just set a backup alarm clock to assure they wake up in time. They set a backup for the backup. They arrange their schedules to make sure they don't miss any gathering for worship. Throughout the week, they talk about what happened on the previous Sunday as excitement builds for the upcoming church service. There are all-day talk shows on the radio devoted to reviewing last week's service and breaking down the next one. There's even a TV show called Church Center that runs highlight clips of church activities and that have happened across the nation that day. When Sundays come, the members start loading up their trucks, SUVs, and sedans hours before the service starts. Hurry, says Dad, frantically. We're behind again. It's 6 a.m., says Mom. Church doesn't start for five hours. Last time we left at this time, we had to park three miles from the sanctuary and sit in the nosebleed seat. Someday, I really want to sit in the front row, but you have to camp out on the church lawn to have any chance of that. The roads are really congested on the way to church, no matter how early you leave. At church, there are vehicles parked as far as the eye can see, folks are all out tailgating. Some have elaborate spreads prepared, breaking out portable grills and lawn chairs in the church parking lot. Some have television monitors and satellite dishes and catch updates from other worship services while they wait for their own. It's nice weather today, not that that matters. Even in the dead of winter, they'll be out here in the same numbers. The masses begin filling in the sanctuary, cheering with great passion and excitement. Once the service starts, the people are all on their feet, not that they ever sit down. Of course, a bunch of young guys are in the front row. They've probably been here since Friday night. They have no shirts, and each one has a letter on his chest. Together, they spell, get your tithe on. <laughs> apparently, apparently, the rumor has gotten out that the pastor is indeed going to teach on biblical stewardship and worshiping God with our money. Everyone is pumped for the giving sermon. It's one of the highlights of the years. And I love this part. After several hours, people start looking at their watches. Everyone is thinking the same thing. I hope the sermon goes into overtime. Look at your neighbor and say, what kind of church would Church of the Harvest be if every church member were just like me? What kind of finances? Because I'm saying, what kind of finances? What church the harvest have? Thank you, Pastor Rhonda. If every giver, look at say, if every giver was just like me. We are a part of the body, and God has a purpose and a plan for every single part of the body. If you think you're not important, talk to men like Brother Keith and my dad who have lost a hand through a skill saw or, or a tragic accident. And they try to do with nine fingers things they once did with ten fingers. You don't realize how much you appreciate every single part of your body until that particular part's not there. And that part's not there, then you miss it horrifically and you, you wish that you'd taken better care of it. Can anybody relate? 
I mean, when I was third, when I was 25, 26, Steve, you can relate. We had no fear. Nothing could hurt us. We would jump off of mountains. We would flip four wheelers. We would climb the highest trees. I remember one time my cousin came to hunt with me and I took him early about 30 minutes before daybreak. And I said, climb this tree at the end. There's a, tr- at, at the top, there's a tree stand, climb up there. So about four or five le- hours later, I went back and got him and he was sitting at the base of the tree. And I said, what are you doing down here? I said, what do you mean? I said, we well, got to be up high so you can see. He said, only a fool would climb that tree stand. Only a fool. He never even climbed a tree. He got about three fourths and says, this ain't for me. Hello, can anybody, can anybody relate to that? If you go with me to the book of Job, this is not a job. Many people don't read this book because they think there's work involved. Look at somebody and laugh. At one time or another, everyone in life mentions the gospel according to Job. At the age of 70, Job goes through the storm of storms. At the age of 70, he finds everything important in his life gone. At the age of 70, all the things he had believed in and hoped for and trusted seemed to be in jeopardy of abandoning him forever. Job has always been a fascinating subject or a fast, really a fascinating man because you've got to realize that, Patty, Job did what he did without a Bible. Job had no pastor. Job had no, no books. Job had no Christian television. Job had no radio. We're not even sure that Job had any Christian friends. Yet the revelations that come from the mouth of Job are phenomenal. In Job 19, he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth and shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Phenomenal how Job, uh, Romans says that we can observe creation and know that there is a God. Job did not have a mentor. He didn't have a teacher. There was not a Paul in his life. As far as we know, the Holy Spirit at that time had not manifested himself in the lives of, of individuals. Job was probably written by Moses. Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody. Look at somebody say somebody. Then he spent 40 years in the wilderness realizing that he was a nobody. Look at somebody say nobody. And then he spent the last 40 years of his life realizing that God could take a nobody and make a somebody out of him. But in the season of Job's life when there really was no active participation in the things of God, Moses somehow met Job. And Job began to tell Moses this testimony, and all Bible scholars agree that your Bible, in the chronological order of your Bible, Job should be the very first book of the Bible. It was written before Genesis, the five books of the Pentateuch, the Law, the Minor Prophets, the Major Prophets, the Psalms, New Testament. Job was the first book written. And Job was an incredible man because the Bible says he was perfect before the Lord. It didn't mean that he was spotless without any challenges whatsoever, but his heart was right. And he loved God. His family loved God. He would, he would sacrifice to God and honor his family. And Job had no idea there was a devil. He had no idea there was a Satan. And we know that Satan business with God 
God brags on Job. Satan says, you got a hedge around him. Let me let, remove the hedge and let me touch him. So Satan comes and kills all of his, loses all of his wealth, everything, loses kids, comes back to God, says, well, you got a hedge around Job. Let me touch his body. So Job gets deathly sick and uh, goes to a point of where he's almost at the point of death, and yet he still does not curse God. His wife, and a lot of people fuss at the wife because she said, you may as well curse God and die. Let me ask you a question. If you had stood at 10 coffins and buried 10 of your children who all died horrifically, if you were told that all of your wealth was gone, that you were bankrupt, and you looked at your husband and he was dying with a disease called elephantitis, he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes, and he's scraping the wounds from his, the, the, the festering sores from his body with a broken piece of pottery, you would probably be tempted to curse God and die also. So before we give people a bad time that are going through stuff that say the wrong thing, let us try to, like Joe South said, walk a mile in my shoes. Before you uh, something accuse, walk a mile in my shoes because it's always different when you're on the other side of the street. But notice one thing God did not allow the enemy to do. He didn't allow the enemy to mess with their marriage. You can't touch the wife, you can't touch the husband, you can't touch the home. And we see through a process of, of praying and seeking God, Job gets a revelation. Right in the middle of this storm, and most Bible scholars agree that this happened at the age of 70. Most Bible scholars agree that this was a nine-month season. How ironic, Jackie, nine-month season. This was a nine-month season, and somewhere in the middle of this nine months, Job comes to a place in his life where he has lost God. I remember several occasions, but I'll just mention one. Pastor Ron and I went to meet for, uh, uh, I think we're at O'Charlie's, and uh, then we went from there to the mall, and we were going to go and do some shopping, things of that nature. And when I came out in the parking lot, a car was gone. My car was gone. It was gone. Has anybody ever lost their car at the mall? I won't tell you who it is, but Becky will know who it is, but I got a phone call several years ago. Pastor, can you come help me? I said, where are you? I'm at Hamilton Place Mall. What are you doing? My car's gone. I can't find my car. I had to get up, drive to Hamilton Place Mall, pick the saint up, and drive, and we, we found the car. The car was not lost. She just forgot where she parked it. Well, the, Pastor Connie, the car was gone. I was frantic. We were walking up. We were driving up and down every single aisle, every single parking lot. That's when Hamilton Place was really rocking. Man, we, we looked everywhere. I said, my car is stolen. I called the police. I called the police. I report, okay, it was a Suburban. I report the Suburban stolen. The police are on their way to get to, to file a report. All of a sudden, I remembered I left my car at Old Charlie's and rode with Pastor Rhonda to the mall. Boy, did I, did I feel blonde. And if you're blonde, please don't be offended. I, I, boy, did I, feel, did I feel stupid. The car was lost. It wasn't lost at all but I had misplaced it. I think a lot of times we misplace God. I think a lot of times we get so excited by the things that are going on in other areas of our life, and we may touch on some of those. Just to, I'm racing that clock, and I am going to win. But notice, if you will, Job 23, and I will take the time to read the first 12 verses, if you'll stay right there with me. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where 
to find him, that I might come even to his seat. Watch this. Job has lost God. But can I tell you something? God has not lost Job. Even though you feel like that you've lost God, I, I assure you, I promise you, God has not lost you. He knows right where you're at. He knows how to turn things around in your life. He, he knows how to bring his promises, his faithfulness, even if it seems like it's four days late and by now it stinks. Look at somebody and say, it stinks. God can let a Lazarus experience happen in your life. There can be a resurrection and the promises of God will be manifested. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words would he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. In other words, Job knew that if he could get God's attention, that God would defend him and God would bless him and stand in his behalf. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him, so should I be delivered forever from my judge. Watch this. Behold, I go forward, he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him, he hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But, look at somebody and say, thank God for the but. But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have seen the words of his mouth more than my necessary Job gets to a place where he is headed. He is fed up. He is frustrated. He's done. Anybody relate? Taking all he can take, can't take anymore. And he's and just, it just, he's just human. He's just honest. And he says, if I could find God right now, I would fuss with him. If I could find God right now, I would ask him, why is this going on? Why did that crash and burn? What's going on here? Why does it seem like I try to do everything right, but everything seems to be messed up? I know nobody can relate to that place in, in, in your life. And here's what, here's what Job says. There's four things if you're taking notes, you're going to write these things down. He said, he's not ahead of me. Pastor Connie, sometimes it is easy to get ahead of God. Sometimes it's easy to realize that there are promises and there are provisions, and then we will make decisions without God's plan, without God's word, without God's authority, and find ourselves in a mess. Let me say this quickly. We will spend 13 years in lower education up until our senior year of high school, and in that 13 years, my opinion, pretty much of what we learn is ludicrous. Who cares when Napoleon conquered? I mean, I mean, who cares that uh, cosecant over secant equals cotangent? Who cares that x plus y equals 3x plus y? To that? Who, who gives a flying flip about any of that? Hello. Took three years of Spanish. I could not find a bathroom in Mexico if my life depended upon it. <laughs> Algebra, trigonometry. I took all those things. Trigonometry, physics, all, the, all those things. It's like... Pretty much what I learned in high school, to me, the only purpose of high school was learning how to fill out a college application. And then we will fill that application out, and we will go into college. And 
90% of those that go into college have no clue what they want to be. They realize they're not going to be 007. They realize they're not going to be the Lone Ranger. They're not going to be the Man of Steel. And then, they, then reality sets in, and they stop philosophizing and realize that they have actually got to select a job that they can actually do to get paid for it and maybe enjoy it. I have two dear friends in my life. They're both accountants, and Missy, they hate it. They hate it. They literally hate their job. Dear friend, Jack Roach, he's in, he's in Mongolia right now with, with our friend, remember? Uh, I asked Job, I said, Jad, if you had it to do all over again, would you do it different? He said, absolutely. So the first thing I do is leave Cleveland. No, not really. <laughs> but there, there are people that will go into college and Really, they don't know what they want to be, what they want to do. They'll change their major two or three times, and, and then when they get their degree, hello, they've got a degree, but the job they want to do, the job that they would enjoy doing, it's not available. Nobody's hiring. Hello. So then they've got to, they got to fit something into a job that they can change. I have some people in my life, I'll be very careful what I say. I, I met them when they were 18. They're 21 now, and they've had at least 15, I'm not exaggerating, at least 15 different jobs in the past three years. When they turned 18, I said, go on to school, get a degree. It will open doors that other, uh, other places won't hire if you. And they ignored my advice. They, they went to waitress. They went to this. They went to that. Okay, they're 21 years old, they have, and they hate the job they have. They hate it. They hate what they're doing, and they don't see really any financial prosperity in their future unless, like Pastor Rhonda, they marry somebody single, rich, and good-looking. They're looking for that, for that sugar daddy. They're looking for that, that man that can take care of them, and that's the only out of the, of the journey that they're in. Okay, so we'll take 17 years of education to pretty much change our degree, our job, anytime we want. By the way, Hardy's is hiring management positions. I'm sure you can get, get a job, start there, and work up. But that 17 years of, of education, we will not spend 